0: The Evidence Locker is a true crime podcast that brings you cases from all the dark corners of the world. Armchair Sleuths can join me, your host, Noel Vinson, as I relay some of the most heinous crimes ever committed. If you are a true crime enthusiast, we've got you covered with cases both recent and historic from countries all around the world. From mysteries to heists, solved and unsolved murder cases, to stories about the miscarriage of justice, it's all there. With an archive of more than 170 episodes, make Evidence Locker your new binge. Subscribe to Evidence Locker today. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Journey to the Centre of Food, the podcast you can enjoy between meals without spoiling your appetite. My name's Jay Taylor, I'll be your pilot today, along with James Winter, our trusted foodie navigator. Hi! And on today's show, break out your most charismatic grin, gel up your hair, and adopt your sexiest whisking angle as we are delving into the world of the celebrity chef. Specifically, exploring the rise and fall of the food personalities who have dominated our airwaves and bookshelves for many decades, in a bid to answer the question, is the time of the celebrity chef over? So without further ado, clutch your Delia books close and polish your Ken Hom wok as we take a journey to the centre of the celebrity chef world. Hello James, how are you sir? I'm good Jay, how are you? I'm very good obviously. Around us is is significant bunting and, and and there's one of those ticker tape parades because mm. this is a special episode for us, isn't it? Uh,
1: absolutely, this is our one hundredth episode. Jay, one hundred of these.
0: It's Remarkable, isn't it? And I'm just really, trying to. Really proud if of we think
1: back to where we started making these with Hester out in France and sort of thinking oh blimey
0: <laughs> playing record sitting in Play his living record, room
1: and then stitching it to. Well, well just you know yeah no and a hundred shows later here we are talking about celebrity chefs I know without,
0: without a celebrity chef in the room and we, everyone out there who's stuck with us for this journey we hugely appreciate and obviously everything's changed Absolutely. and evolved over the months and years now as we've been doing this and we've We've loved the experience. We love the feedback everyone gives us and, you know, Heston's been a big part of this to begin mm. with and obviously now we have so many interesting and and very New guests. friends, yeah. Yeah, and we're looking forward to carrying on and seeing where this takes us, right? Yeah, and when we were talking about this in the week we
1: were we were thinking about what we might talk about here. And obviously we we're, we're going to talk about sort of celebrity chefs and our experience with them and chefs as who become celebrities in that journey that they go for whatever. But also what we might be talking about in a 100 shows time what might be the things that we would still be talking about and it's quite interesting you know to, to put it that way because it's I don't know how many I mean roughly if we keep it <laughs> do one a week like we are that's a couple of years away so it's not that far but you know we, it's, it's kind of thinking about where the, the discussion around food and our journey to the center of it would take us and you know those kind of themes and personally I think you know yes there'll be some interesting ingredients and yes there'll be some interesting new cuisines and some interesting things but I think actually people in and the whole are going to get much closer to food, and I, be, I mean sort of their relationship with it. I mean, we've talked about all this, this subject in the past, but I think the last few years, the COVID years as they'll be called probably, have taught us what role food plays in our life beyond just eating because we're hungry it's a really important sort of part of our day when we prepare and, and cook our food and eat together now we can we certainly in this country can can get out and be a bit more freer about being together I think that's that for me is where perhaps we will head into that kind of whether it's mindfulness or well-being but just sort of that role that food plays in our in emotional state our, our mind our well-being in the head as opposed to mindfulness you know just how our mental health you know that's i think there's a role there We're, we're just beginning to understand scientifically and and you know that's there's going to be some interesting developments around that i think
0: this so is you've always said about this podcast as well. This is not the podcast equivalent of a Chop and Chat. This is not about ingredients and recipes. This is, the, the, you know, the ambition has always been to take a journey to the centre of food on the sort of molecular level. And that means, you know, going inside the apple we eat or the strawberry, but it also means going inside us and trying to mm. unpick the things we love, why we love them. You know, we've, we've been lucky enough with Heston to look into the world of sort of you know, gut bacteria and multi-sensory and all those various things. But also we've had Harold McGee on here speaking about, Mm. you know, the importance of how we smell and the power of that. We've had, you know, wine experts on talking to us about just the texture and difference of that. We've had people talking about truffles and how the hell they get into that industry and obviously all our adventures back into history. And I think that Mm. for me, it's just a perpetual curiosity in food and its relationship with me and why I love it. And all the things it can do for me. And as you know, I'm not a foodie who understands, you know, jus and drizzles and all these various ingredients. But I am someone who loves eating and enjoying the experiences of it. And I think that every time now we're meeting new, interesting people, I'm learning new stuff. And it's genuinely changing how I think about food. Like Henrietta, Mm. our rare tea lady who came on, it's completely changed the way I think about drinking tea now, which I've done for decades Mm. and suddenly so it's it's a it's a real joy and Mm. to everyone you know who's been listening to us and and giving all their suggestions please keep doing it because we want to evolve this um in all manner of ways over the coming hundred episodes we are looking forward to be doing some live events of all different varieties where we can get you along and meet you in person which is going to be really good fun we're going to try and expand our presence online as well but just stay involved go on our instagram at journey to the center of food or say hello on the email journey to the center of food at gmail.com and subscribe on itunes and all those other places leave reviews drop stars whatever it is you you fancy doing at the time and just let us know where you want us to take it um because obviously now that we've done a 100 episodes obviously james has has his star has grown Hugely, so he is now a a broadcasting. I, I'm breaking gargantuan. out, Jay. You I'm are. Breaking out. I Do you want to tell out? our listeners what you're well, doing now?
1: Yeah, this is, this is well. It's not an exclusive because I have already, I suppose, you know, popped my my radio cherry. Yes, I am. <laughs> I, I, I am a radio broadcaster, Jay. I have an official. Uh, once a month, uh, show on uh, Marlow FM ninety seven point five.
0: Marlow FM. Marlow
1: well, FM ninety seven point five. Presenting their um, Monday uh, monthly uh, food program. So they do Mondays. Mondays is always Food Monday on Good Morning Marlow, uh, ten to twelve. <laughs> you can you um, drop
0: into the voice. You can't help go Good morning Marlow. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning Marlow. So
1: yeah, no, I've I've been on there as a guest over the years, and and different people with different shows, and. I've always enjoyed it, to be honest. It's great fun. Part of the joy of being a guest on a radio show, I've realised now, is is that you don't have to worry about anything. You just turn up and talk. You know, whereas running a show is a little bit more complicated. So I'm I'm, I'm rapidly hours you
0: and I put into the prep. And the research, and it's just all gone. <laughs> you could just turn it up and yak it up, right? But
1: but, it, but it's you know, I've 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 spent many years sort of like you, you know, producing things. But there is something that when with a whole shoulder of a, a whole weight of a program relies realize on your shoulders it's something. Is it's a it's an interesting perspective, which you know, having worked with talent, you look them in the eye and you kind of go, "Come on, Mal, yeah, how man how hard can, can it be? But just how, say like, it. Just say the words, <laughs> will you? Just do it. I mean, you know, when, when you suddenly got the mic in front of you and the red light on and everyone looking at you and all so you know running the desk it's it's quite a lot it's interesting though it's great fun so yes i've started doing that <laughs> <laughs> so if anyone you know wants to 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 you know it's available basically it's available via the internet so any of our listeners on this across the <laughs> world can can find me on marlow fm talking um, to various foodies from the marlow area and beyond Love it. And just for anyone living, we have a
0: large broad listening. Do you want to explain what Marlow is? Well, Marlow is a town. Absolutely.
1: You're absolutely right. Marlow is a, is a slightly larger town than Bray, where I kind of work with, with Heston, you know, but not very far away, a few miles away, where there are some wonderful sort of food entities, lots of lovely chefs. Tom Kerridge is obviously, you know, a big notable name in that area with a number of restaurants but you know it's it's just a little town in England that seems to be extraordinarily passionate about all things and food and very active there's lots of there's lots of interesting sort of personalities around Marlow I'm discovering there's quite
0: a big kind of Oh, they love a letter don't they they love writing a letter around there imagine if you tried to put up like scaffolding or something they'd all go berserk wouldn't they well they're probably going
1: to write a letter now now I've been on and just (laughs) uh, that'll, that'll be it On the 101th show, I'll be uh, announcing (laughs) my (laughs) retirement from Marlowe FM.
0: (laughs) (laughs) A very short... Yeah, we need to get you some. Fa- I might start writing what, fan mail to Martin well. If you, from different honestly, if you honestly, if you want to text in, in. <laughs> I mean, I think
1: you know the audience. It's, it's you know certainly on my first show, which I've done, we're quite a quiet audience. I'm trying to encourage you to speak up. So uh, <laughs> if you, if you do have any uh, questions about anything, I do do you know? Uh, well, obviously we talk food, but we play music and basically we just you know it's just nice to hear from like on this you know on this it's nice to hear from anyone listening out there to to know a if they are listening and b what they think about the show and any ideas. They have for the show and, and how we can keep this conversation going because it is a you know it's a it's a three-way conversation on this and a, and a two-way conversation you know with mono
0: fm where i'm just james will know. only accept food-based songs so if you want a, a, a music request it has oh, to I've have tried that i've been
1: looking for that and it's just, it's, it's I, I imagine i'm not the first person to present food monday on Mono FM but so no. i imagine i imagine that that is a is a Furrow, well ploughed so I'm very aware of, of where food songs take you you know and it's kind of you know it's more I don't know just whatever you know it's just it's just a conversation like Last 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 time when we were talking about a, bit, a little bit like I was just saying about well-being around food and how actually there's some new science emerging about the importance of eating around the table again which we all know is important and we talk about a lot here you know but there's The neuroscience world has published some stuff on it, so you know it's kind of all all sorts of different things.
0: Have you started? I remember when I started out at um, BBC Radio Wales back in the day. One of my first gigs was I produced a dance music show with very almost zero knowledge of dance music whatsoever, but I was a producer behind the glass. And had a presenter, and I spent most of my night just making up text messages that had been sent to him from different people. Because no, we was listening to Radio Wales at like ten o'clock at night, uh, especially on a dance show. If they're into dance music, they're actually out. They're not sitting. Oh, I know what I'm not going to listen to Radio Wales. <laughs> Jump around at home. So I was like, oh, we've had loads, of, loads of people getting in touch. Uh, <laughs> so I'm hoping you've, you you're making up text. Probably you probably don't have to. You are probably deluged, but um, I think we should get you some fan mail uh, sent well, to uh, Moller. Very,
1: very, well it'd be greatly, uh, greatly w- welcomed.
0: I'm sure. <laughs> uh, I, will but, read, I will read them out in my best radio voice. But from one from one celebrity uh, to another that was a that was a radio link there uh, you can take you can use that one on your next well of
1: course episode. yes I mean, I, yeah well I, well now i am a 70 just to just to point out before jay moves on i am <laughs> available for shop openings fate <laughs> openings uh, children's fairs i don't know I fate openings is that
0: literally you're getting you're saying you're i like the fact you you're aware i've never of your opened
1: level. a fate i've never opened a fate i've <laughs> lo- been I to a fate. a fate i'd love to open a fate i have um Part opened the Good Food Show one morning at, uh, at uh, for the BBC. How would you part I, open
0: it? Is it I declare this half open.
1: Well, I think I was holding the scissors and handed them to James Martin. <laughs> I think that was that was my bowl in it. I and mean, then James talked, and everyone screamed, and then stampeded him, and I was just left <laughs> holding the scissors.
0: but <laughs> <laughs> well, I, lo- I love a fate. I haven't been to a fate for years. I wonder if they're still going on. I bet they are in the countryside. But there's yeah. some cupcakes, and there's always like a. Toss the ring around a uh, something, and um, well, yeah, yeah, we have quite a big. We have a big country. We, it's for sort of village show where I live. You know, yeah, it's big.
1: It's huge actually. The the um the booklet comes out with all the various prizes you can get, and it's everything from needlecraft. You know, cooking on a theme. You know, there's always a theme to each year, so you have to. There'll be like knitting. Something on a theme, you know, they'll be writing on a theme, lots of men only categories in the cooking, which is always a challenge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Only two or three. You so know, there's like, 100... category, is that like well, there's like a hundred. Well, that, like a hundred? Well, there's like a hundred. No, it's like a hundred just for men. Oh, men don't uh... always have to do X rated things, Jay.
0: <laughs> but why would only men be <laughs> yeah. allowed to do it?
1: Because all the other categories are dominated by the local WI. Oh, you so know, like,
0: yeah, so... like the cake making, the old. The old yeah, so there's
1: men's that, yeah. scones making category, or they might pick something interesting like lemon curd. Men only.
0: Daring. Daring, oh you could do your like you could do a live broadcast there for your show. Oh, imagine that! That would bu- blow their budget, bu- blow Marlowe FM's budget for the next four years to get the live scanner out there, it's just coming to you, coming to you live from the Marlowe fate. If we have
1: one, there is a there is a trailer out in the gravel car park. We're just at the back of the scout hut, <laughs> and there's something that's got some stickers on it. Might have some broadcasting equipment. It could also just hold some cones. I don't know. Part of, the first part of my trailer. By the way, was how to open the door.
0: <laughs> Probably so it the really first is. and all of your training was it. This is where the. Plug no, is. no, I got
1: I got some very, very good uh, training from a from a fellow broadcaster, Chris Zarimba, He does the uh, health and fitness show on a Thursday, um, and um, I had to be uh, shown how, literally how to let myself in, <laughs> turn the lights on. And because it's it's quite a solo thing, you know, local, very very local radio. There's there's not like walking into Broadcasting House where you're greeted and someone signs you in and you're given a cup of coffee and swept up in the lift by not some yet, nice James, person. not yet. Now you're there. You no, know, it doesn't happen like that.
0: You're the Chris Evans of Marlow FM. You're going to feel well, like he that. lives
1: in Marlow, Chris Evans.
0: There you go. That's yeah, the, that's the. Well,
1: well, look, dear, dear listeners to this show, I'm going to let you into my personal secret goal for this. I, I'm going to try, I mean, obviously I used to work with Chris many years ago, I don't know how it feels about me and I haven't spoken to him for a little while, but my personal goal for the first 12 months of Good Morning Marlowe with James Winter will be to get an eye dent from, from Chris Evans.
0: <laughs> and also, can't you just fake that? I also thought it'd be great to get celebrities, sort of, hi, right. it's Stephen Spielberg. Here. I mean, what, yeah, should, people you don't know what they sound like. Yeah, yes. we should do that here, shouldn't we? we should. <laughs> hi, it's Tina Turner
1: here. We listen to Jeremy's ah, ah. food. <laughs> I was thinking we'd recognise Tina Turner. You might sort of, you know, just some unusual ones.
0: Oh right, okay. <laughs> Right, it's like- to our dear listeners by the way as you can tell as this is our 100th episode james and i are just being utterly indulgent and it's just the two of it and we're going to be talking uh well we're going to stop talking complete nonsense about this and actually have a point to it now but um but yes it's just going to be us because what we wanted to do in this episode was delve into something that you've heard us in previous episodes talking about your food television and the rise and fall of that and Something else we're particularly interested in is the the sort of cult of celebrity, and specifically Mm. celebrity chefs. Both of us have been around celebrity chefs our entire careers. We've had hands in building the celebrity of a number of chefs. Um, So we thought it would be a really interesting thing to explore this because there is a growing sense in the world that actually the celebrity chef as we know it is a sort of dying breed uh, and potentially slightly endangered. So before we get to that, though... We thought it would be fun to start at the beginning, uh, through the mists of time, once again, the mists of time part, and James will take us gently by the hand and take us back to the, the wherever the celebrity chef first began. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm not certain he... This is the very first
1: celebrity chef. Obviously, that's a question mainly for Mark Meltonville, the first people earlier than this. But when looking into this, obviously, the idea is that this idea of celebrity in general is quite a modern phenomena. And obviously, in the cooking world, you know, we we only think back sort of sort of 15, 20 years to when sort of television appeared. And, you know, well, it's been around longer than that, but sort of, you know, the sort of a burst of food television with the Delias and Fanny Craddock and then Jamie and then Keith Floyd and Gordon and Heston and all these characters. And you think it's quite a modern phenomena. But I wanted to talk to you and and, and sort of, I don't know, Engage people with the idea that maybe it's been around a bit longer. And I came across as a as a as a character by the name of Alexis Sawyer. Now he was uh, a Victorian uh, chef. I don't know if he was French, but he he ended up in in England, born in eighteen twenty one. Who is often credited as being the very first celebrity chef, um, mainly because he was. I mean, well, I'll take you through what I've I've kind of pieced together as a kind of little rough sort of flowchart to his life i mean he did so many things he was just one of those characters that just seemed to be endlessly active and and doing innovative things but he kind of grew up in rural france learned to cook in the traditional ways but was sort of swept up through various things in his life which you know i I, I won't go into now but kind of ended up in london taking a position working for a big house um i think belonging to the, the duke of cambridge um but eventually landed at what was called the Reform Club. Now, I don't know if you've heard of a Reform Club, Yeah, Jay, I don't know what it
0: is. I've heard of well, it.
1: Well, it's still around now. And I think, I don't know whether it was one of the earliest gentlemen's clubs or whatever, but it was... It was oh, it is the, a gentlemen's club, as in Smoking oh, Jackets and Foie Wow. Well, I don't... Yes, I mean, it, it is. I mean, it was... You know, they were... Bec- I suppose in Victorian England, they were becoming more popular and, and more, you know... Uh, greater greater number and 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 it was opened in sort of 18 or oh, I, gotta, I gotta, I'm just I think 1837 or 1841 it kind of was started to be it was built during that period but he was sort of installed as its its first head chef and it was you know it was it was quite a notable place anyway because of the kinds of people that that, that sort of came there but but sort of it became more notorious for 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 his involvement, which is quite extraordinary. He must have been, I can only imagine, he must have been a huge self-promoter. You know, he obviously was very, um, I suppose, you know, what's the word? Um, Gregarious, you know, he was very approachable and he would be talking to newspapers and stuff all the time. But actually, he was a great innovator first. So, what he did when he landed that job at a reform club, instead of just tunneling in there and making PM and ham soup for everybody, he completely rebuilt the kitchen and he did it in oh, wow. such a way that transformed cooking forevermore so in those days in the Victorian times I guess a lot of kitchens and a lot of you know certainly bigger kitchens were all driven by coal he didn't like that um, uh, I don't know if you remember our, our chats about Antoine Carem the great chef of Kings king of chefs you know sort of the sort of a great chef before Escoffier Um eventually was, I think he, I can't remember exactly what his ailment was, but it was from working in kitchens full of smoke and charcoal, that eventually just knocked him dead. And, and you know, he was, oh, yeah, it's a good he point. was I one never of the
0: thought about that. The idea that there were coal fired kitchens or, but big, fe- or, or fires, wooden fires in the olden days, isn't it? I mean, that's really interesting. So what did he do if he didn't want coal?
1: Well, Luckily for him, I suppose, you know, just by chance or whether it was by design, Pall Mall, where the Reform Club is situated, was the very first street in England to have gas lighting. So a a number of years before, and gas lighting wasn't uncommon around London now, but it had a very sophisticated system of gas lamps outside in the street, um, which would, would light up the street. So he was able to tap into a gas supply, which was already laid on outside the building, and power his stoves with gas, which seems commonplace now, but actually then was utterly extraordinary because gas, unlike coal and charcoal, is a, is a controllable heat source. So, one, it doesn't generate smoke
0: and, and fumes, but also you can turn it down or you can turn it up. That's so cool. That must have seemed like absolutely the future when that happened. And it's quite natural mm. thinking to go, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I can use that. That's, uh, that's really interesting. And then we I had one the- with a dial on it, you know,
1: which is just obvious, right? But, you know, when you've just got coal... You know, or, or logs. You you can't. You just have to keep tempering them and putting more on or letting it die down you have to work with the fire here you just turn it up and down he also had refrigerators which were cooled by cold water which is how refrigerators work today but that's incredible in 1837 you know to be able to stock and run a kitchen that was so sophisticated that you could you know keep produce for longer you could have different things you could serve things at different temperatures you could cook slower and longer or faster and and hotter you know and it allowed him to start creating lots of incredible
0: things. Now I'm just going to pause right here and ask you a simple question. How would you fancy a free case of beer? Of course, the answer is yes to that. Well, the great news is to help celebrate our 100th episode, one of our great new sponsors giving you the opportunity to have just that. Beer 52 is the biggest beer club in the world. Each month, they send their members a case of beer from a different part of the world. And this month, it's an absolute belter. And I know, I've been lucky enough to be sent it myself. Their great European road trip case takes in the best beers from across the continent. And I was delighted when I got it. It's full of love loads of cans of beer of which i had heard of none of them they're from all over the place and they are fantastically varied and really really interesting for example there's a pilsner from norway Uh, there's a double ipa from sweden Uh, there was a dark smooth coffee stout from copenhagen which was really nice there's also beers from croatia and poland and germany and austria and, and loads of others it's really cool if you like trying new things it's the perfect recipe for you. Uh, and if dark beer is not your thing, you can choose from a light-only case or you can get a mixed case, plus you get a magazine which tells you all about the different beers and you get some snacks as well. And if after all that you're still not happy, you can just pause or cancel your subscription at any time. So why don't you go ahead and try it for free on us? All you have to do is go to www beer52 that's beer b-e-e-r and the numbers 52.com forward slash journey cover the postage of just over a fiver and get your own case and get enjoying so that's beer 52 wwwbeer 52.com forward slash journey and have a beer on us right let's get back to the world of the celebrity chef alexi sawyer
1: you know, he's less known for, for maybe individual dishes, although lots of dishes are named after him in many ways. But lots of techniques, you know, are really, you know, sort of where, where people have, you know, sort of tapped into his knowledge because he, he kind of reformed how kitchens could work and, you know through that position and through all that work, he obviously did lots of huge, very public dinners, but he was also very good at promoting them. So he was always being interviewed. So, you know, you find his interviews where it's not just in the in the, in the the press and stuff, but he'd be being interviewed by Mechanic Magazine or by Builder Magazine, you know, because it was all, all the different sectors, because he was so innovative, were interested in talking to him. So his face and voice were, you know, all over the press all the time. So he became a celebrity, you know, through that kind of media i mean there was no television to mass broadcast or radio in, you know to for him to speak on but obviously you know people would read a lot more in various you know printed forms and magazines and news you know newspapers and 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 he would be
0: the, the voice and and face of cooking for that time and also spoke spoke to the Victorian ideal as well this idea mm-hmm. of modernization we're living in the future because To be a celebrity, especially a celebrity chef, you imagine for people to hook into that, it's got to be about more than the food. And it seems like Mm. there was a lot more to him than the food. And he had this thing which suddenly everyone went, we're fascinated with what you're doing. And that's what gets the attention, right?
1: Yeah, and I guess uh, from that, you know, y- there's a certain commerciality. I mean, you're right, this is the time of great expansion. You know, it's industrial revolution and, you know, it's passed and, and, and people are, you know, are getting more and more commercial. Businesses is, is, you know, are growing, there's development, and just, just things are happening. And, and so he was able to do commercial partnerships with things. I mean, he did a partnership. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, so he did a, he did a, a partnership with Cross and Blackwell. Right, for some of the sauces which were coming out of the kitchens at the Reform Club to turn it into Soya's Sultana sauce, which became the base of Cross and Blackwell sourcing, you know, and it's still available today in one form or another. It's, oh my word! You know, I had no so, idea. So you know, he's 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 a man that saw something that he was serving to the, the you know the diners in the Reform Club you know dining room but was you know, suddenly available to the general public. So his name starts to spread that way, you know, and 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 because of that, he started to you know be able to do other partnerships and I suppose what this is what's interesting because the trajectory of this is such a modern trajectory so he starts off being a guy who's very talented at cooking he lands a position which allows him to be very very talented people notice his talent for whichever way they can other in you know industries come in and say oh I'll have a I like your brand even though it's not really a brand in the modern sense I like what you're doing so I'm going to take what that is, and put it in my brand and and we work together and we grow together, and so that 's what started to happen for him, so you know he started to grow and grow and grow as a as a as a, as a celebrity, sort of up until you know for i suppose and for the next ten years at the Reform Club, he was he was the chef that would do all the big dinners. So when notable people came to town, you know Queen Victoria would want Soyer to to do the big dinner for the big dude, you know, or or a big you know, industrialist would have a dinner. He would hire Sawyer to do the dinner, and he would want the Reform sauce. But you could he'd already you know he he could use it to everything to cross promote himself. But he was also still very innovative. So you know when it came to the the next changes, he you know he realizes now he's a public figure. I suppose he's got to try and make a difference to the public. He feels the public's need and want, and he was always driven by this desire to... To feed large numbers of people, really, he always felt that people. He, I don't know whether he he saw poverty in the street or whether you know he felt that there was lots of people, certainly in London, that were undernourished, underfed, and didn't have access to, to good food, and he wanted to help. So he got involved in 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 a you know trying to help with the Great Irish Famine. Um, in 1847, um, he started soup kitchens, were funded by the government. Went over to Ireland and started doing these kind of let's call them food revolutions, like Jamie Oliver. You know, you kind of start you, 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 or over kitchen dinners you're trying to help people eat better food he wanted people to to enjoy and have access to better food so he would work with these organizations to to feed thousands of people sometimes successfully sometimes less I mean let's not not, not everything he did was a success and this is what's interesting because this is where the trajectory becomes important right so all the time during this time, he's writing, I don't know, quite, I mean, I've, I haven't counted, but I've got a list of his books in front of me now, but there's, a, there must be at least seven or eight books, you know, he's written during this period. He's constantly publishing his recipes, and he's trying to write these great treatises about gastronomy through the ages, and he's interested in history, and he's interested in the Romans, and he's interested in the Greeks, and he's publishing all these books all the time, which again in a very modern way he wouldn't sit down with a quill or whatever and, and scribble them by candlelight he would dictate them so he'd have a sort of a ghostwriter. he'd have a team of people growing around him to generate the kind of content that he wanted to generate with the number of opportunities he was clearly having and this kind of culminated with I suppose what I mean I don't know what 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 necessarily, you know, the two things, well, we are connected in that sort of gr- the great exhibition you know, of, I think it's 1850 or 1851, isn't it, um, that happened in London was kind of a great moment for so yeah he was the the most famous chef certainly in Victorian England Um, and obviously he wanted to use the great exhibition which was the great platform for these people to demonstrate his his skills and he wanted to take over the you know and, and sort of run the food and beverage for the whole exhibition and demonstrate his new innovations and everything and he pitched to to run that but he didn't get the pitch. You know, This, is, it's, it's obviously, really? a, no, he didn't get it. So he get, went to someone else oh. and I don't know why I don't know the full story of that. Probably a bit of politics and, you know, because again, on this journey, you know, you'll see a trajectory that's it's quite interesting because, I don't know that much about him in the sense that I've read a couple of biographies and you don't know how much is true. And some people dispute different biographies and some people say that's not true. But, you know, he he was clearly a a, a colourful character, let's say, you know, who who had been a heavy drinker all his life. You know, this is Victorian England. So I imagine he was quite a difficult character, especially with a certain amount of fame around him. We know how fame can you know let's say change people you know to be you know more convinced of it it many times absolutely so you know maybe that was part of it but but um when he didn't get that position it's quite interesting he left the reform club you see at that point you know he'd committed himself to being part of a great exhibition and so he left the reform club he you know he'd probably grown in his mind too big for his his fish pond and wanted a bigger ocean to swim in didn't really get his hands on the big prize and did bits and bobs for the for the um for the exhibition he did he did have some of his wares on on display he had something Called an Osmazone soup, he was trying to commercialize, which was a kind of again very innovative. It's like a very um, well, like you say you you know nothing about Jews. This is a, a, a soup based on very very heavily reduced beef stock, which effectively would be called, a, I suppose, the beginnings of a stock cube of some sort. You know, um, which was was offered as a sort of a you know a soup for the for for people visiting the exhibition. But what he did instead, you see, is he, you know in Hyde Park which is now I think on the site where the Albert Hall is now he basically put huge amounts of his own money and other people's into a venture which he called his gastronomic symposium of all nations and so he set up his oh, rival wow. a rival enterprise
0: you know literally egos egos collide because these things are egos aren't they it's, it's I'm better than you I'm going to run my own thing. You, I don't need your great exhibition in your Crystal Palace. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do my own, which is... and, and but, but it's only always, I imagine it was a, a, a resounding uh, failure. Well, interestingly, I mean,
1: it started off in, you know, in the grandest possible way. He held a banquet, you know, on 15th of May, 1851, I found. Um, but not the date's that important, but it's kind of... He invited the editor of every single European newspaper do it you know <laughs> so this wasn't just like let's do this and invite so he invited all the world's press to come and come and see him um, and he was holding events banquets every year to lots of different people for a year different things different styles different ways of serving banquets different foods different gastronomies and techniques for a, you know for a full on year isn't this eventually, every day or every week? Well, he was doing I don't know well, every. I don't know the frequency, but enough, enough, basically, to, to after one year to have to shut it down, having lost at that time a huge amount, some some sum of money, which was seven thousand pounds, which I, I haven't converted into modern money. But let's. That's
0: a lot, though. The, I mean, could just imagine that's yes, yes. You know those pounds are like those. Giant pieces of paper. A pound was a big deal, right? Mm. So the idea of seven thousand—that's a lot of large pieces of paper.
1: So you know, by 1851, he's pretty, he's pretty much spent. You know, but he doesn't stop. You know, he's still producing books, and he's still you know, you know, very vocal and being interviewed and all sorts of stuff. But obviously, he owes a lot of people a lot of money at this point. So you know, wow. it, it kind of you know, it, it sort of peter's out from that point on. But one thing he he had one interestingly, you know, he he sort of. Um, through his kind of work with, I suppose after um, the the uh, Irish food uh, potato famine, you know, work he did trying to feed people with soup kitchens and stuff. He he was asked to to help with a culinary campaign during the Crimean War, and to help with the army, you know, to basically be to to get better nutrition. So you know he was you know paid expenses and, and a simple wage, and he he basically joined. Um, one of the army hospitals, you know, to to serve and prepare food for large numbers of people to make sure that the troops... And so as part of this, his kind of last great contribution, I guess, was this thing, which was up until the 1980s, and it was still using the Gulf War, is the Soyer Stove, which is a a, sort of a a, a kind of wood-fired cooking pot which you know if you google it you'll see it it still makes perfect sense it's kind of got a charcoal burner at the bottom and a great big encased stew sort of pot inside with a lid on top and it would it would be controllable enough for you to be able to cook sort of long slow cooked things for long periods of time and it's it was just a simple but perfect design and and stayed in use for you know 100 years you know so. the
0: interesting thing about soys as well is that is that how you say it soyers? i think so so is Alexis Soyuz, yeah, is, is that and the reason we sort of you know gone into depth on him is because he almost feels like he forms a playbook for what we'd considered to be the celebrity chef. As you said, starts with ambition, gets something unique about him, mixes that with charisma and also a des- a desire to build a brand, gains public publicity, finds a way to then monetize this through products and books and those kind of things, and burns very very brightly, and then often as happens is just the nature of you know public eye then disappears and you sort of look at his playbook and say well actually that has very much been the case for the celebrity chef for the following 150 Mm -hmm. years because you know, we step right through everyone that you know we think of and we know from you know, especially the advent of, of television and things. We've spoken before about Fanny Craddock, but you've obviously got the you know, the Jamie Olivers and Nigella Lawsons, the Delia Smith, and you know, there's the Martha Stewart's across the across the pond, and there's people down down under we know as well. But I think we can all, in our minds, whichever country we're in, think of those celebrities, chefs, and what's fascinating about the arc of these people is that over here it's being called the. The Delia effect. And I know we've mentioned this before, but it's this idea that there was a period in their lives, where these people, when they were on TV, they had such incredible power over the spending habits of the nation. Um, Delia Smith would just mentioned something in her cookery show, and it would sell out across mm. the nation. She caused um, sales of white eggs in, in the UK to increase by 10%. And like things like mince beef and Frey Bentos, just by mentioning it in one of her shows. Mm. And cran- um,
1: cranberries, of
0: course. We I mean, we only eat cranberries, I'm sure, because of Delia Smith. <laughs> well, we we spoke before about we were speaking off air about um, Ken Hom mm. and the incredible statistics. He sold um, more than four point seven. I'm sure it's gone up since this start, but He sold more than point seven million walks. Mm. The Ken Hom walks. And it, uh, you were talking about his walk through the day and how he, you know him and how in, importantly ingrained it is to his it, how we think of him right
1: mm. yeah no absolutely these the products are i suppose of a way to commercialize you know the brand that you've worked so hard to create because cooking let's be honest running kitchens and cooking is really hard work so if you can pluck something out of it whether that be for a television appearance or whatever that allows you in some way you know my, my observation about about all chefs to be honest is that it's quite interesting you know they spend you know their entire career is trying to get out of the kitchen, you know, so the quicker you can get out of that kitchen, because it's really that's hard. very true. You know, that's very true. Then, then the, the, you know, the, then the, the better they are for them, you know, in, in that sense. So if you've got a product or a technique or a dish or a sauce, even like in Soyer's case, you know, that can pay you enough money so you don't have to, you know, peel onions and chop them anymore, then brilliant. I mean, that's didn't you cult. say
0: to Ken Hom once he was more wok than man? Is that what you said <laughs> We used to, to
1: tease him about that. Yes, he's half man half wok. <laughs> You know, or more what the man? You know, he's, you know, he's, you know, as they call him the Wizard of the Wok. You know, he's all. I mean, he's 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 a wok. He's a wok selling machine. I mean, you know, Ken.
0: He's a wok star. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So
1: you go. So you know. But but it's you know he for for you know for that period of time and for now he's he's he is the you know exempt so typifies you know Chinese cookery for people. I mean, when you think of Chinese cookery and you think, what should I do? You Google. Chinese recipes, you will get Ken Hom, you know, and, and if you want to but buy... that's really
0: important as well, because Chinese cooking has been in Britain for you know, 150, 200 years, but mm. it's actually, at their very best, the celebrity chef is this lightning rod. He sold 1.2 million copies of his book, Chinese Cooking, a- 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 and suddenly everyone goes, oh, what's this thing I've never heard of before, even though it's been here for ages? And also, you spoke about the good that they can do. That that lightning rod can be reused for... great. I mean, Jamie's school dinners... Mm genuinely has made a difference to school dinners in britain that is still being done today and i know it crossed over to america as well and much like Sawyer's, that use of celebrity to make a difference is is incredible Mm. and i think that much like Sawyer's, art most of the celebrity chefs do that they start off chopping onions working 20 hours a day they get out the kitchen through luck and through charisma and talent and then they get into this world of celebrity and they start selling books and tv shows and actually make this this difference but then, along came the world of the food blogger, and suddenly this realm of television was sort of fractured and, and kind of because suddenly it's no longer one or two very rarefied people who were talking to you about food. Suddenly, all I have to do is turn on YouTube, and there is hundreds mm. of people that I love talking about about food. And then uh, after, the, after YouTube and the bloggers, you then start entering the realms of Instagramming. And suddenly it's now changing where the food is suddenly the star. And that sounds ridiculous, but what Nigella made didn't really matter. Yes, it was nice, but you were watching Nigella. You were watching Delia and the food yeah. was fine. But now suddenly Instagram becomes where you're just looking at what's on the plate. And then you push that to the farthest degree. Like websites now like Tasty, where you look at that, there's nobody in that. That's just recipes, right? Mm. And it's just food being made. And you look at the... I was looking at the impact of, um, for example, Tasty on Facebook has 98 million uh, view well, subscriber views. Whereas, you know, um, Martha Stewart's 2.5, Gordon Ramsay's 9 million, Jamie Oliver's 7 million. It feels like we no longer need a famous face telling us how to cook. Mm-hmm. You know, Ramsey has transcended and now he's just screaming at people in game shows. Jamie Oliver sort of wafted off and writing cookbooks can do anything he really likes. But we don't need anyone to tell us how to cook because there's so many places you can get it. And we don't necessarily need anyone showing us fancy food because there's so many places you can get that. So you start saying, well, what role for a celebrity chef? Uh, is that is that idea that celebrity uh, chefs are now going to once again go back into the kitchen? Because also as a... As a punter, we find much more excitement about seeking out places which are not the chain restaurant of the famous chef. But, oh, there's this cool new place, Independent, that I found around the corner, right? And so you start thinking, how is someone ever going to now break through that and become the celebrity chef again? I don't mm. know if we'll ever see that, maybe in you know years, but where's it going to come from?
1: I don't know. I mean, it's a good point whether we'll see them again. I don't know. I mean, it's interesting that you you pick up on the, the fact that the food is now becoming more sort of the celebrity than the person that makes it and you're right I mean certain dishes now but certainly my kids have made but I've kind of appear out of nowhere these things that come off TikTok like the baked feta pasta sauce and the folded you know tortilla wrap with different fillings in each corner these, these are these are Instagram the TikTok dishes you, you don't know who's making them and I think you know whether I suppose
0: they travel so quickly uh, as well right because oh God, as soon yeah. as one person makes something you know back in the day there used to be a, a, a sort of very singular way you could broadcast that if you were well known you'd be on television mm. or you'd do it through the newspapers but now i could it, anyone can invent something and it can be shared and copied a thousand times within an hour mm. uh, so it's much harder to have that distinct brand as well whereas this is me i've done something special we've encountered this heston there's a me it's you know obviously they say that you know it's flattering to be copied but there's you know thousands of people out there copying his things he's invented, and that's just the way of the world now. Absolutely,
1: but- and and I, just just thinking about that, I mean, often we the way these things attract, and how we feel the impact is often in the, in the in the sort of ancillary sales. So, you know, you look at whether baking is important. It's it's we don't know whether people bake, but what we do know is they're buying a lot more baking trays. So when John Lewis announced baking, you know, sales are up by twenty four percent. You know that everyone's baking, you know, or at least for having uh, buying the equipment you know that something is having an impact and that was going back to your first point about Delia was was how you knew that Delia effect was happening because it was on supermarket sales we didn't know that people were making cranberry sauce at home you know we didn't no one talked about it but you could just supermarkets knew supermarkets knew because they could see the, the sales increasing and I think you know, and books
0: as well. You could always tell if your celebrity was rising because you'd be able to sell mm. books, and that of—I mean, thank God—the book market's still there. Just in terms of we can still go into bookshops, but it doesn't feel like that is a, a path to riches anymore, unless you're no. A, certainly, a, my a, a experience lucky. was
1: the 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 kind TV tie-in book, as they call it, where it's 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 linked to a particular series. Is it's no longer a guarantee of book sales. You know, there has to be something else that, that draws people in. But then maybe to your point, you know, in, earlier that you know the world of and chat, which is what used to be food TV, is, is gone now. So we, we would no longer sit and watch somebody cook and, and serve a, a, a dish on television which we will then need to go and buy the book to be able to replicate, just doesn't exist. You know, we watch them go on adventures where they learn about whatever, something, something. We might see them cook something quickly, but there's no there's no recipe to to, to admire and look at and, and want to cook, you know, so we don't have that connection. So that's that's gone. So in that sense, I suppose that's where Instagram and, and TikTok and Facebook and YouTube have kind of gone in there and filled that
0: gap. I'm just going to pause again because I wanted to talk to you about something that we believe a lot in on this show. Uh, As you know, we're always talking about uh, gut health and the importance of food and the relationship we have with it and the ability to travel inside our own relationships with food. And a large amount of that is to do with our emotional state and getting to know ourselves better. And I think all of us, especially after the past few years that we've been through with the the various different global pandemics in our lives, have made us all realise that our mental health is more important than it's ever been for us to be able to take care of it and invest in getting ourselves as healthy as we possibly can both inside and out and one of our new sponsors is here to help you with exactly that they are called better help Online therapy. Now, the great thing about BetterHelp is it's online therapy. They offer videos, phone, and even live chat sessions with a therapist. So you don't need to see anyone on the camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours two million people have already used it. This is a really great service with a lot of the barriers that most of us would find if we went to try and get any kind of therapy removed. And we are lucky enough to be sponsored by BetterHelp, which means that you get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com. All you have to do is visit betterhelp.com forward slash journey. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash journey. And have a look into this. It's a great opportunity to really work on yourself and make yourself as happy and healthy as you can mentally. And it's worth every moment of trying to give yourself the best mental health you can because it's going to set you in great stall for everything you want to do, including, hopefully, listening to this podcast. Tenuous link there. Let's get back into the adventures that we're having with the celebrity chefs. You know, people do, I
1: do believe people like to watch people cook. You know, we want to learn, you know, vicariously by watching other people do it, how to cook our own things, you know. And, and then we want to be, have the supporting printout, media, book, whatever, you know, to help to
0: remind us what the recipe is. But I do think people want that. And there's true from history. I mean, that's what we've learned from speaking to Mark over many programs is that this idea that, you know, everything's changed and we're different now is, is naive. And you're right that, that every medium grows up and becomes old now. You know, once upon a time, Facebook was cool and new. So was YouTube. So was Instagram. And suddenly it's going to become, you know, for our kids, it's going to become old, the old thing. And the people on there will become the celebrity chefs of the future, mm. maybe, and then rise and then become, you know, replaced ultimately. I think we do like the idea as, it's, as you've proven through, you know, from the days of Victorian times, we like this idea that there are these rock stars out there who cook food for the sort of elite. And if maybe possibly you save up long enough, you could go and try it. I'm just curious what that face will look like. And if mm. it is a person anymore, if it suddenly becomes a... A thing. I mean, maybe there's the ultimate sort of kind of algorithmic celebrity chef now, which is the thing which produces the perfect food for you.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, and, and in a way, the algorithm needs to to spin them out to cross over. They need to cross over into another. Area of celebrity life, you know, they need to have not just celebrity friends, but they need to they need to be more than just a, a, a chef. They need to be able to sit and you know on chat shows and game shows and and do articles about this, that, and the other. You have to be able to cross a number of platforms, I think, to break out of your lane. And I think we've talked about this before, but, but you know, certainly the British public don't like it when people cross lanes. They like to keep them in their lanes. But if somehow yeah. somebody can straddle a couple of lanes, they become you can't ignore them anymore. You know, you know that they've cut through and just. To, to To finish that my point about so yeah, is that he kind of managed to do that too. So through his work with the Crimean War, he obviously became very good friends with the other great Crimean War celebrities, which were Mary Seacole and Florence Nightingale. And Florence Nightingale was was you know present at his funeral, and he was very, well, he was very ill at the end, and he you know he was ill for a number of years. But you know he it was through her support of him that one or two of his final sort of projects, like the stove, and he did a model kitchen for the um, wellington army barracks i think so he was constantly doing these projects that would get were through her support of him and sort of forcing him to get things done when he actually probably wasn't very well but it's when you you're in that group you know when you're you know that you're you're seen as you know mary nightingale is obviously the you know the name that everyone associates with the Crimean war but if there's, if there's a secondary or third you know discussion about it but you know his name will come up as someone that tried to make an impact. When you're talking about her, if you dig a bit deeper, you'll see who else was doing things. So, you know, once you're in that kind of, you know, relationship with other celebrity people, you kind of all get talked about at the same time. You become that kind of rat pack, I guess. You know, you become a group, you know, and that keeps your your star higher for a bit longer, doesn't it? I mean, that's the point.
0: Yeah, celebrity is a a growing drug that we all adore and want and yes possibly celebrity comes faster now and disappears faster um but to sort of you know to finish our 100th episode with a conclusion on this where do we sit is the age of the celebrity chef done and over or is it just changing i think well what do you think which camp are you in what's your conc- what's your conclusion about the celebrity i don't i don't chef? think it's
1: over i don't think it's so over because i think we love we love food and we love watching people interact with food for entertainment so I I don't think it's over I think um, for the current time the the kind of ways we meet new entities on television we meet too many of them so they're always through competition formats at the moment whether it be MasterChef Top Chef Bake Off you know all these different things Great British Menu here you know there's too many people to engage with you know so but I don't think we'll ever be bored of, of, of watching them so I think once those formats change and as a new style of presentation where it's back to smaller numbers where there's one person who we get to know for whatever reason and they will come out of that food world because we love watching people cook and you know so I don't think it's over I, I can't see where the next names will come from but that's the way of it people appear and there are names probably already huge that i don't know about because i'm not in tune with the youtube instagram facebook generation
0: you know and there'll be yeah do let us know out there because i'm sure you're pretty screaming at your your iphones right now saying well what about this person it would be great to hear what you think about the future of this, what you divine will be. Because I think also, you know, what we've spoken about is the idea that the chefs also come hand in hand with a new wave of culinary interest. You know, mm. when Jamie Oliver came along, it's because we all love the idea of just chucking something in a pan and having a go. When Heston came along, it was this world of molecular gastronomy, which I know is not what we call it now. But when he pioneered that, it was like, what is this? I've never seen it before. And again, the idea that there's not going to be a new turn of the wheel in food is is crazy. And someone will be there and their star will rise and we'll all be fascinated with them. So, yes, do get in touch and let us know what you think. I'm in your camp as well, James. I think there's always going to be an absolute appetite for celebrity and food. So the two have to go hand in hand. And just because the old model is broken... I think you know in 100 episodes we'll probably know what the new model is and we'll be able to be talking maybe a 1000 episodes uh talking about who the who the, the rise of the celebrity chef again I think they'll go away for a little while mm. but they will be back don't and get it, rid of them that And easily. I guess
1: it it's it's about what it means to be a celebrity in in the food world now I mean don't forget you know in those days you were a, you know, when you are a celebrity chef it's not seen as a great thing to be chefs don't want to be didn't want to be celebrities whereas you know now it's a slightly different has different connotations you can be still a very very well respected you know good you know good chef and be on television whereas you know 20 years ago that wasn't the case you if you're on television you weren't a proper chef that was the case yeah yeah, yeah yeah so now that's different and so you know it's it's kind of fair game television is you know it's, it's open to them all so it could come from anywhere is my point and it'd be interesting to see who does come through and also kind of we're getting to know some chefs now for other platforms that you would never get to know you know f- you know, through the traditional media of television because they wouldn't have got on there you know the kind of the more ethereal names like Rennie Red Zeppi and, and you know, Alex Atala and, and these sort of characters you know, Massimo Bottura these international names that I mean, you wouldn't. We would never know them if it wasn't for for sort of you know um, shows on Netflix and and whatnot. But they become super famous across the globe. But that, that kind of circus of the world's fifty best chefs is, is just full of these superstars. You know, who are the rock star chefs. Yeah, here more stars. than more than celebrities. They're like the world's best chefs, and they're kind of charismatic and cool and drive Ferraris. You know, they kind of got it all, right? <laughs> And we'll probably be getting some of them on here one day. which would well, be, be lovely, wouldn't it? Yeah, speaking English. Ferrari, get them yeah. on Marlow FM. Uh, <laughs> but,
0: but for this week, uh, our musings are over. Thank you to all of our listeners for being part of this journey with us. We hugely appreciate it. And it's lovely to have you along. And we really enjoy all your thoughts and input. And where we go, nobody really knows. Well, James and I have ideas, but it's up to you to lead us as well. But we just hope you stick around for the rest of the ride because we're having a joyous time with it. Uh, but for this week and our trip back into celebrity. Thank you ever so much. James, it's been a pleasure. I will speak to you next week.
1: Likewise. See you soon. Thanks, everybody.